All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Kente Corner, your favorite casual Hoya basketball podcast. I'm your host, Bobby Bancroft. I'm joined again back by popular demand, NY Hoya. And it's been far too long. Nationwide Nolan is back. And guys, we're back here after Georgetown just did something they don't do very often. 72-66 win, almost wire to wire over Xavier, a team that has just really owned them since they joined the Big East. The Hoyas have now won four out of five. They're six and three since the break. Their overall record is nine and 11. And believe it or not, they have a chance on Saturday at UConn to finish the Big East season eight and eight, 500. Raise your hand if you had that. Um, Nolan, since you haven't been on so long, what's going on, man? Everything's good. I mean, this is, it's a tale of two halves tonight, but still for a win. In that spot, I mean, the season has gone well above my expectations since they came back from their COVID pause. Um, what's the record now? Six and three since that point. Yeah. Um, totally unexpected. Hasn't always been pretty, but I mean, just to collect those wins this year, it's, I mean, you can go back at any point in this podcast when we kind of projected out how the season would go along the way. And I, I mean, none of us had this, so it's, no, it's really encouraging. I think especially on the defensive end is, is where I'm, starting to become most optimistic. I mean, it's it's obviously, it's nice to get a win against Xavier by being tougher than Xavier. Yeah. And mm. we really haven't, we have not seen that in the history of the Big East rivalry. Usually they're the ones pushing us around. So it, it was nice to see that for at least the first 32 minutes of the game or so, we pushed them around. Um, I, that said, I, I just just big picture, our, our record is almost 500, and when you think about it, we only play Xavier once. The second game would have been winnable. We only played DePaul once. That second game would have been winnable. The same goes for Marquette. Uh, th- these are winnable games that we're not going to get a chance to play. Providence is another one. Yeah. Uh, so we there's a decent chance that we had it, we could finish uh, above 500 with a full schedule this year, which is, which is really unbelievable. It's if we win on Saturday and finish eight and eight, I mean, I think it's fair to say that Ewing definitely exceeded expectations with this, with this team. No, for sure. And I apologize. I haven't even gone over what actually happened in the game. Although if you're listening, I bet you already know. So anyway, so Jamarco Pickett on his senior night, 18 points. Chudier Bile, 16 points, 11 rebounds, another double-double. Blair came off the bench with 12, and Wahab had 13. If this game had gone differently, I probably would have focused more on the whole Blair thing a little bit. It's just kind of a weird situation. I think I tweeted when I realized he wasn't starting that I just hope all the Georgetown seniors play tonight and have fun. I know that sounds really kind of lame or, you know, whatever, but it just, I don't know if you guys remember, but kind of at the end of Jesse Sapp, Sapp wasn't starting. I think it was, I think it was Omar Watad or maybe it was Misharikov, but it just for the coach's decision being the explanation last game, which I think is just a total cop out. It's a coach's decision not to play Kobe Clark. It's not a coaching decision to sit your one of your best players, your leading scorer. Obviously, something happened. You can just say violation of team rule or he needed a rest or, you know, whatever. So we wouldn't have to speculate, but we didn't get that. So there is speculation. But I thought it was great that uh, Blair got involved and 
you know, he didn't have his best shooting night. He had, I mean, we've definitely seen this kind of line from him before, but I was really happy to see that he played, contributed. And you, am I making too much of the Blair didn't play last game and he came off the bench today? You know, is that is that too big of a deal? I, for me, it's. I guess I kind of view it in the context of you're a senior in your final two weeks. What are you doing off the court that might lead to that? Yeah. So for me, it, it may be more disappointing um, yeah. that he wasn't in a position to start tonight. Um, and I, I didn't think he was very good. Um, he contributed enough, but it wasn't his best performance. But to get a win when he's not on top of his game was nice. But, yeah, I mean, it would have been nice for him to close out at home as a starter, but whatever happened behind closed doors, I don't know. I The accountability in the program – maybe after last year, especially Ewing, maybe ruling with more of an iron fist. So <laughs> I, I think it's okay from my vantage point, at least. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what's been interesting is in the last couple of weeks, Blair has struggled. I think largely it's because teams have just tried to shut him down on the perimeter and yeah. he hasn't responded well to not getting points and who knows how that carried over off the court and in practice. But at the same time, we've been playing pretty well, uh, even though he's been struggling. Sometimes he's on the court, sometimes he's not. But I really thought our ball movement for much of this game was uh, as, good as, it, as good as it's been all season. I thought our defense, too, for large stretches of this game, similar to the last one we played, was was pretty good. Uh, so th- there were there were certainly a lot of positives. But as you say, there was also, I think, the two biggest, the two most glaring negatives were Occasional hero ball, uh, in, including from Blair down the stretch, but also just just no awareness of of game and and time. It would have been so much easier if Dante Harris would have taken the ball out, used some clock. I mean, we were up 18, 19 points in the second half, and yet we were using five seconds off the shot clock and just jacking up contested threes. It wasn't there wasn't a whole lot of positive decision making during that two-minute period after Wahab dunked the ball and got, got called for a technical. So we just need to have better game awareness. But this is this has been a problem for the entirety of Ewing's tenure. We just only play at one speed, and that's all we know. So the Hoyas tonight, a very workable 12 turnovers, which is tied. They've had 12 two other occasions, uh, the loss to Villanova, the loss at Syracuse and their season low for turnovers is the win against Providence. They had seven. So the turnovers are pretty good. You know, they're winning in a different way. And it's one of the things I asked Ewing about. And also Belay was, okay. I think you guys know without talking to Belay that he's a very confident individual, right? <laughs> um, so, you know, talk to both of them. They, you know, both Ewing and, and Belay feel like their defense is coming along. Belay took it to a level that Ewing did not at least publicly say in BLA. And I, I know I tweeted it out that I asked him, you know, how, do you feel like going into the Big East tournament, you guys are, you know, a dangerous team. You get, you feel confident you can play with anyone in the league, which they absolutely should since, you know, they played Villanova twice pretty good and they are, they beat Creighton. And he took it further and said that he feels like if they keep playing like they are with their defense, that they can play with anyone in the country, which like I said, if you watch the way he plays, he had some heat checks. You know, he was four for seven from deep today. He was a big part of it. What do you think about about Bile saying that? And obviously, you're not surprised that he's very confident. 
I, I mean, I'm not surprised by his confidence. He he certainly <laughs> takes a, a lot of a lot of shots. And to be fair, in this game, he he made uh, a lot of shots. The threes that he hit in this game were were pretty huge. But I I think he's he's been the difference in in the last three weeks of the season, kind of post COVID. He's played with a lot more aggressiveness. He's been much better on the defensive end, uh, and he's been hunting for his shots a little bit more. And I think he's he realizes that, you know, if he if he waits for open looks beyond the arc and if he's if he stays sort of feisty down low in the paint on the offensive class, those are his best opportunities to to contribute. And today he did a hell of a job rebounding the ball and 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 finding his spots. Nolan, do you think it's as simple as once Belay emerged as a legitimate score and what he gives you defensively that that's when the season turned or is it more more involved than that you think i think just the way the roster is constructed when he's on the floor with jamarco you do see a difference defensively just with their size and length and you can go back to last year i mean you think about how small they were in retrospect with it was really three guards blair jagan and terrell and then you had jamarco playing at ford now you compare that this year when Jamarco has somebody next to him who's six seven, two hundred pounds. It, it takes on a different identity defensively. I think you've seen that. And I mean, if Fillet is a forty percent three point shooter, I mean, yeah. it certainly changes. I mean, you can play that big lineup because you have two shooters at the forward spot. So I think the way that's constructed now, you're not losing much offensively by playing those two together next to, to Wahab and defensively you're, you're much better. Yeah. And we, we talked about this uh, one, one of the earlier pods, but when you can throw picket delay and either Wahab or ego FA at the three, four, five, mm-hmm. that gives us such size and such length that it, it, it makes us a much more formidable opponent on the defensive end. And it's, it's interesting to see. And I, I don't know why it took us this long to kind of, you know, realize that that combination was, was the best one, but it's, it's not only great having Belay at the floor, it's great for Pickett's sake too. I mean, Pickett was doing a hell of a job rebounding earlier in the season, particularly when he, he needed to play at the power forward position, but having him at the three and having him getting bodied by a smaller defender means you could see a lot of what he did, especially in the first half today. And, whether he took too many shots or or, or not uh, in in the first half, I mean, he missed a lot of shots today. But in the first half of this game, I thought that's I mean that's his NBA tape. I mean, the the types of shots he was getting and hitting, uh, that's exactly that's exactly what people find so impressive about him. Okay, so speaking of that, that's a pretty good transition. During the game, I decided to try and figure out based on the internet. Now, it, it's not guhoys.com because they don't list the birthdays. But I try to figure out, okay, everyone's kind of speculating. The seniors get another year. You know, with all the freshmen coming in, you're probably going to want at least, I don't know, one of these guys or maybe a grad transfer from somewhere else to kind of help out. So this is what I got for the birthdays based on Google. Javon Blair turns 23 in March. Belay turns 23 in July. Pickett turns 24 on Christmas Eve. Carrie turns 22 in August. And um, Jalen Harris turns 25 in November. Now, 
I would recommend anyone that can continue to go to Georgetown for free. I would highly recommend that from an academic standpoint, but I imagine that a lot of these guys have aspirations to play professionally, whether it's here or somewhere else. So afterwards, Jamarco Pickett, he wasn't asked, but he did kind of say, you know, it was emotional because this is the last home game, you know? So I don't think, I don't think we've ever really thought he's going to come back, even though he obviously would really help them on the court. So based on the birthdays that I just gave out, and like I said, this is various sites. I think Jalen Harris's was from Arkansas, and the other birthdays were from different scouting sites and that kind of stuff. Do we think any of these guys are going to come back? I would love if Jamarco came back. I think, yeah. I mean, his the prototype of what he is is exactly what next year's team is going to need. Um, when you think about the freshman they're bringing in, and Dante's point guard now, and you still have a Hobbit center, you need somebody at the four. Um, and you really have two options with either Jamarco or, or Trudy that would fill that role nicely. And I, I would like to have, honestly, at this point, I would take them both back. Um, <laughs> yeah. But Jamarco, especially, I just think he really, he seems to be much more sure of himself and he knows what he can do now and what he can't. You don't see him put the ball on the floor like he used to, just kind of driving into nowhere and turning it over. Um, like if he faces up now, it's a quick jab step, get into his move, get a shot. He's very little waste in motion with, with him now, and you just see him get lost much and much less now. He he just knows where to be, and it's been fun to watch, and I would hope that he'd come back next year. So he would be at the top of my list. I mean, if I was Ewing, I, I would start recruiting him now. I, I, and, I agree. I mean, both Pickett and Belay, but in particular Pickett, and for a guy who's had such an up and down career, it's it's just it's tough to it's just tough to find someone with his skill set. And his his biggest weakness is just is, is putting the ball on the floor. He struggles to dribble and and sometimes with game awareness. But he's other than that, and that can be very very frustrating at times. Uh, so he certainly has some things to work to work on, but. Just his size, his length, his rebounding this year, his ability to hit threes. Um, he can play inside and outside and, you know, his little jab step. All of those things are impressive. And, and Belay, we've, we've talked about, I mean, he's, he's just a, I, I think with, with Belay, I think on, on next year's team, the one position where it's, it's unclear who he would sort of run at the four at the start of the season, Belay would be a natural guy to start at the four. So, um, and for the mat, and for that matter, Pickett would too. I just prefer him at the three. But, um, but you know, having Belay to start the season at the four alongside Wahab would be nice. And I should also note that you know, obviously, media wasn't there to, you know, usually the pregame senior ceremonies. That's something that's not on TV and stuff. But the Georgetown Hoops account did tweet out after the game, and it looks like I'm assuming the one guy is a manager. I apologize for not knowing his name. And then you've got a picture where there's one with Belay and Ewing, Blair and Ewing, and Pickett and Ewing. So Kerry didn't even take part of it, which lends to something that Belay said when he said that it was a big night for the three seniors. He did not include Kerry, who we know, even if they didn't get the extra year, he always had that year, you know. So maybe that's part of it. I don't know. I will say this, guys. One of the things that got me through, and I was at this game as a fan, I'm not trying to bring up terrible memories, 
But one of the things that got me on my drive back from Providence to DC in March of 2010 was Greg Monroe in the post game press conference saying that he was coming back. Okay. So even though Pickett said it was his last game and it was emotional, that stuff, I will say that there's a lot that goes into these decisions. So I just, I wanted to get the, you know, get out what he said, but I've already had people tweeting at me after I tweeted that. Is that for sure? No, it's not for sure. We don't know. They have big decisions based on school, like I said, and basketball. And I just threw in that story. And by the way, driving to Providence just sucks from Arlington. It wasn't fun going there. It wasn't fun driving back. Speaking of the NCAA tournament, this is not good for Xavier, right? And I know, obviously, Villanova's been really good and Georgetown struggled against them. But, Vill- you know, Xavier, Georgetown has their worst record against any team in the Big East. It's Xavier. And then in league play, plus the Big East tournament, the last time they were played on a Friday night, you know, coming into today, Georgetown 3-12 and versus Xavier. I wrote in the preview, like, look, this baby steps. Like, you can't make up that difference in one game or in one year. In a couple years, we got to chip away at that. And so it was great to win tonight. And I think from a Georgetown standpoint, you got to be ecstatic because this is a team, and particularly the last home game, and I think, Nolan, you can kind of talk about this, um, you know, Xavier just has this this way about them, and it's it's worked against Georgetown. But I think to kind of – this isn't the final blow on their resume, but they missed a lot of games. And this – even though Georgetown's playing well, it's still a bad loss as far as the committee is concerned. How good is this if you're a Georgetown fan to kind of take some pleasure in UConn – or not UConn, but – well, maybe UConn Saturday, but Xavier's, you know, problem right now with the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I- I don't, I'm not sure, maybe outside of the traditional rivals, that there's another Big East team I would have preferred to knock out um, tonight. <laughs> I don't know. Just the way they act, they're always chirping. Whether it was Kunkel or Odom tonight, they always just seem to be involved with stuff. I will say the one kid I respect fully is Paul Scruggs, so I'm happy he was okay after he took his the fall there. Yeah. Uh, and he didn't play his best, which is part of why he won, but um i think he's great but other than that they just i don't know they just always annoy me travis Steele annoys me the whole chris mack coaching tree it's just i don't know always feels just whiny and it, it was nice to to send them out of there with a loss remind me real quick you you had a tweet i think it was last year maybe it was this year and you you didn't even at the player i I'm, i apologize i'm blanking on the name but i guess maybe he just searches himself on twitter Oh, it was uh, the big kid, Tyreek Jones, <laughs> <laughs> who, I mean, that was just typical Xavier. I mean, they just think they're the toughest guys. And, I mean, they've had a nice run of success, but what have they ever really done? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and look, for Travis Steele, this is his third year as coach. Yes. And if they, you know, their their last game of the season is at Marquette, on Saturday night, if they lose that and they end up not going to the tournament, that'll be three straight years of not going to the tournament. Remember that in the first round of the biggest tournament last year, they lost to DePaul. DePaul, yeah. Uh, so they're they're struggling, which is interesting too because people have been kind of praising their system. I don't know if you've you've. I mean, Nolan will know a lot more about this, but um, Xavier, along with uh, uh, you know probably eight, nine, ten other schools, have kind of been praised over the course of the last year for their uh, five-out offensive game and their ability to spread the floor and how he 
sort of change their entire offensive approach by mm-hmm. interestingly enough by incorporating Princeton uh, yeah, I mean, principles. They they overhauled it, but now you know the worst shooting team in the Big East from three point range is Xavier. So I don't know how much good it's really done them at this point. Yeah. Well, it's crazy too. I mean, it's hard to. I get that it's hard to throw stones on a Georgetown podcast about going to the tournament and tournament success, but you have to sort of wonder. I mean, you go all the way back to Pete Gillen, which was my first crushing tournament loss because I thought that team with Morning and Matumbo was going to make a run. So you go, you go Gillen, Skip Prosser, Thad Mata, Sean Miller, Chris Mack, and that's just that's a hard that's a hard group to just fall in. I mean, that's you're basically talking about 35 straight years of really good coaches, right? And now Steele looked like last year. I know when I was leaving Madison Square Garden, didn't have any interest in watching the DePaul Xavier game, but I found I found it to be humorous when I was out that night and they lost. Okay. So you have to wonder for them for Steele not to make the tournament three years in a row, like obviously it's a longer stretch here of missing the tournament, but I sort of wonder. It's just interesting, like, what would Xavier's point of view, you know, they're not a big time, it's not like it's, you know, Ohio State or Kentucky or something, but I, I think it's interesting, like, what they will do, right? I think ultimately Travis is going to be fine. So I, 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 I do think, I mean, let's see what happens in their game at Marquette and in the biggest tournament, but whether they end up going to the tournament this year or not, I still think he'll, he'll get at least another season. And uh, for him, it's just going to be finding the right players to fit the system. And then do you feel like going into UConn, it's just kind of like house money, like that, like the idea that they get to avenge was kind of a not great loss at home just recently. And they get a chance to go eight and eight and guys first three game big East winning streak since 2017. Huh? Huh? (laughs) I I will say I'll probably root for them tomorrow night just because I, I'd rather not get them off of a loss that they'll have to, they'll be desperate for a win, but they should be in for a war tomorrow night. So extra day of rest maybe gives you a little bit of chance there. But I mean, like NY was saying, we've kind of had the short end of the stick. I mean, we had to catch Villanova twice, Creighton twice, and now UConn twice with Book Knight, Book Knight being available in both games, which, I mean, he missed, I forget how many games, but it was a string of them. And, you're going to catch him twice. Yeah, look, I we just played UConn last week, and we were winning at the half. And the game was tied up until there was, what, five minutes left in the game uh, when Book Knight and RJ Cole finally, uh, finally turned it on. Uh, so I, it's, it's not going to be easy. It's a game that UConn is definitely going to need to try to lock in their, their tournament hopes. And the game's going to be on the road for whatever that means this year. But we just played them last week. So it's it's pretty tough to beat a team twice over the course of two weeks. So um, let's see what happens. And then interestingly enough, I just I, I looked at the other games. I mean, right now we're in eighth place in the conference. And we have an outside chance to finish in fifth in the conference and get a bye in the Big East tournament. And for that to happen, uh, I mean, we need – a few different things, but uh, it's not out of the realm of possibility. I think the the toughest thing uh, is for us to win at UConn. Outside of that, we just need Providence to to lose once more, and they play 
St. John's tomorrow, and then they they're uh, home against Villanova. Uh, we also need St. John's to lose once more. They play Providence, and then they play home against Seton Hall, so that's possible too. And then we need Xavier to lose at Marquette Saturday night at nine o'clock on Marquette's senior night. So it, it's not likely to happen, but it's possible. It's, it's certainly it's certainly possible that we'll we'll play on Saturday, eke out a W, and then start shockingly enough watching other Big East games and rooting for certain teams to win, which we really haven't done all season. Do you think Ewing deserves any Coach of the Year votes for the conference? I, so I, th- I think I think the reality is they probably sent the form already, and uh, you had the like uh, assistant SID or the uh, uh, assistant to the director of basketball operations already just fill out the form and send it back in. So it may be too late. But look, if if we finish 500 and end up middle of the pack in the conference when we were expected to finish 11th we've we've definitely exceeded expectations and that's not something to sneeze at it's not going to be ewing but i i think he's i think he's had a good year even though we're nine and 11 or whatever our record is yeah i'm Go ahead. I would say, I mean, maybe it's Mike Anderson, but I mean, they've kind of faltered here lately. I, yeah. I can't really come up unless you just want to give Jay Wright, but it'll be Jay Wright. Um, yeah. It won't be Greg McDermott after today, but uh, oh my god! <laughs> I mean, if Ewing goes eight and eight, I I think he would have a legitimate case to to win it. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a big fan of the coach of the year always being the team that exceeds expectations because there was years where it's like you know going back to nba showing my age like oh phil jackson's not good enough to be coach of the year but i do think that when you look at georgetown's picked last all the new guys on the roster they were the last team in the big east to actually be able to practice and they had the pause but most teams had the pause and there's other schools that had bigger pauses but i think when you add all those things up and if they get to eight and eight if they get to 10 and 11 overall I think he's got to at least get a couple of those votes um, if they haven't been voted. And, you know, I had Patrick Stevens on yesterday. The NIT is going from 32 to 16 teams. You know, in most years, an 8-8 eight and eight record in the Big East has you on the NCAA tournament bubble and definitely in the NIT. Uh, obviously, it's different. The NIT is, you know, it's a smaller field. And Georgetown probably, unless they go on a little bit of a run, it'd be tough to have a winning record, but I think that they're in the mix for that. And, you know, going to the NIT this year might come down to, do you want to go to the NIT? Even with it being Mm -hmm. 16 teams, it's going to be no automatic qualifiers, which kind of hurts my boys at JMU. They just lost their best player. So they finished one. And normally a school like that, if you don't win your conference tournament, you get sent to the NIT. That's not going to be a thing, but with 16 schools, it's really kind of hard to gauge. But the fact that we're even or at least I'm talking about this is kind of amazing, right? Let's not let's not get too excited. <laughs> I don't, well, I, ultimately, <laughs> ultimately, I don't think I don't think we're going to the NIT. Okay. Um, but I I do. If we're invited to the NIT, I definitely think we should go and we will go. The fact that all of the games are in one location is is helpful. But uh, I think it's I think it's highly unlikely that we would be one of the 16 teams that's selected. Um, but 
but let's see. There's a little bit of season left, and we have this game against UConn, and then we have the biggest tournament, and uh, there's reason for optimism right now. No, is there anything I'm missing? I know it's getting late. Hey, just overall, I mean, NIT or not, this is it's been a success. I mean, when we started talking about the season in November, December, it was let's just get through it, retain the recruiting class. And as they went on, of course, they snagged Mohammed in December. And it's like, okay, a little bit um, of traction there. And then uh, the last couple of weeks, it just snowballed. So I think they've pretty much hit every point along the way um, on the checklist. I mean, even if you have to go out and recruit a grad transfer forward, I mean, Ewing has an example of, hey, I just took in a grad transfer and I let him have the highest usage rate on the team um, to play a substantial <laughs> role. So, I mean, what's a better selling point than that? So I, I think they've, they've done as well as they could this year. Yeah. I, I also think that I completely forgot what I was going to say. So never... I'll say this. I have it written down in my notes. When I looked up and Berger was in the game, I thought that was odd. And then the way that it went, I was just like, oh, come on. See, and I just think that that's so hard on that kid to have to, to be put in that spot to mm-hmm. do, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I thought that was bizarre. It, it reminded me of what I was going to say. I, I, I thought, look, we're up 15, 16, 17, 18, 19 points in, in the second half. I found it a little bit odd that there, were, there weren't more substitutes, especially after what happened in the last game. I'm surprised Sibley didn't get some run uh um or if he if he did he was in for 30 seconds yeah uh, you know he I'm, did. I'm, su- I'm surprised Berger didn't get a little bit more run especially after what Ewing said about him and after his performance in the last game it, it was just b- bizarre to me I mean our Carrie was in foul trouble too it, it, our guys certainly could have used a little bit more of a breather especially Harris uh so it I, I thought and, and Belay was in foul trouble also. So I, I really thought we would see more from the young guys, uh, especially when we had the double-digit lead. And then once the game got closer, that was more and more unlikely to happen. I think the thing that, that bothers me is it's every year it seems like we're starting over from square one, uh, with the exception of last season where we had some guys coming back. We had a good core with LeBlanc, Mack, and, and, and Akinjo. And, and and next year, it, it just seems like we've got a great recruiting class coming in. But yet again, it's it's another rebuild. It'll be Ewing's. It'll be Ewing's uh, what fifth season, and four of those seasons will be, you know, kind of trying to start over with a new group of guys. And maybe this is just sort of a function of the way the game is today, with first grad transfers, and now next season just unlimited transfers. So. I, I don't know, but it sounds uh, like you didn't listen to Patrick Stevens and I from yesterday. I, I, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, because we'd had the conversation the other day, and then I was able to. His schedule kind of made it so that we had this pod, pod, pod. And uh, I asked, I said, you know, you and I were talking about this. Is this a function of 2021? Is this a function of Georgetown? And you know, he gave the. It's kind of in the middle. But yeah, Georgetown is more often than not rebuilding, and that's just about keeping the guys, right? And he pointed out that you're always going to get more transfers now than you used to. And he made, like I said, he made the point that 
if you had your junior class that you expected, like if you had Mac and Akinjo and LeBlanc, that you know maybe Blair would have been the transfer. You know, like like you, it's basically impossible to keep that many guys happy. But they basically just had the fact that you have an entire class transfer is what's really difficult to recover from. So you're not going to make all the kids happy, but you kind of want to make like some kids in each class happy because you don't want to lose just an entire year because then you're just in scramble mode. I mean, it's okay. it's going to be fascinating to see what happens with extra year, everybody gets. Um, I mean, you just look at a team like Villanova and what if Gillespie says, hey, I want to run it back again. I mean, <sighs> there, Give me there's a break. so many dominoes that could fall. You just, it, it'll be interesting. Yeah. And, you know, you can't make that many kids happy, right? Like, I'm sure there, you know, every, on every roster, there's a bunch of kids that think they should be playing. And who's to disagree with that other than the coach gives out the playing time. So you're always dealing with that. And that's between the guys that are, you know, playing in a bunch of high schools and they switch AAU teams. Like, it's not going to stop when they get to college. And I'm not even saying that they should, you know, they should. People are trying to always do the best things for themselves. But from a program, you got to figure out a way to keep a better nucleus. I mean, Georgetown, what they made nine threes tonight, eight were from guys that are probably not going to be on the team next year. You know, so you, you start thinking about things like that. Like, where's your shooting from coming from? Where's where's this? Where's that? Now I feel like we should have just stopped after my pie in the sky NIT hopes. Now we've we've come back around to all the problems. <laughs> I will say this. I feel like I've been complaining about the nine o'clock tips which I think just guarantees Georgetown somehow finds a way to finish sixth. And if they finish sixth, then I think that slots them in for a nine o'clock game, which, so that's my prediction. I've been really dancing. I think even tonight at dinner, I was like, can you believe it? Georgetown doesn't play at nine. This is incredible, (laughs) which makes everything kind of impossible. But I want to thank you guys for coming on. The podcasts have been great. It's been a weird season in that you can kind of do the podcast all the time where if I was at the game, it'd be much more difficult, although I'm sure I could possibly figure it out. There's only two more guaranteed post-game pods, and then we're back to talking about the Eshrick era, reliving games. (laughs) Happy senior night to the fellows today. It was a good performance. It was a great performance. And And a great performance by you, Bobby. Good performance today. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I'll have to go edit this, all my ums. It'll be great. Nolan, it was good to have you back. And why? I'll be bugging you for Saturday. I think it's an early tip, which is incredible. Off to New York. It's coming. It's coming. We Thanks, did it. Thanks, guys.